Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Australian Underground. I'm your host, Christina Papp. And on the show today, I'll be talking to Yap Heng Shen, who burst through the Australian and international punk scene in the early 2000s as the lead singer of Swedish crushed revivalist Piss Christ, with members of other awesome bands from Melbourne at the time and forthcoming, such as Straightjacket Nation, Susiopoda, Extinct Exists, Nuclear Death Terror, Lie, and others. Then going on to form Chromosome, and after that, Enzyme, as well as some other shorter-lived projects, such as Oi Punk Band Bloody Hammer. Yup has a new project called Reaxi. We have a 7-inch coming out this year of La Vida Es Un Mos. Alongside Yup, I'll be interviewing Heikel, who plays bass in Reaxi and immigrated to Australia just a few years ago. Both people are from Malaysia, but not necessarily Malaysian, and have their own stories of family migration within Southeast Asia that we go into in our conversation. As well as talking about Yup's punk ventures since moving to Australia, we also go over why both of them moved here, the communities they moved out of and then into at the time of their immigration. With this comes experiences of racism they've encountered in both countries, in and out of the punk community, as well as for Heikul, having to navigate society as a non-binary trans person. It was a heavy talk, seeing that they still held pain from these negative experiences and that they've had to adjust to live their lives to be able to get by while still randomly experiencing assaults on them as BIPOC people in a Western and predominantly white country. I want to thank Yup and Heikul for coming in and trusting me enough to open up about these particular issues. It was an insightful conversation. Heikul has a few words they want to say before we start the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Australian Underground. Hi, Cole, and I'm acknowledged that this podcast is being recorded on stolen land of the Wurundjeri people, the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to elders, past, present, and emerging, and so all of us as well. Also, having like this is a general thing where not acknowledging the use of the colonial word Australia in this podcast, we can try and use things like so-called Australia or so-called Melbourne, which I have used before in my you know radio show and stuff, gets a bit of attention from people from Southeast Asia or Europe to ask what is so-called, and then we start to explain um, the ongoing colonization of the country of First Nations people here. So to acknowledge more and to try and push this towards the small scene that we have and, you know, to try and use so-called Melbourne or so-called Australia.
up in Singapore and I grew up in Malaysia. So maybe our experience a bit different because uh, ethnically I'm Chinese Malaysian. I don't feel Chinese at all because mm. to me, I would say I'm a Malaysian. Mm. You know, I'm Malay, but uh, that's not what my the country I was born told me. You know, and that's not what the people that I grew up side by side make me feel sometimes, you know? Yeah. And uh, would you say this is the same experience being a Malay, a Malay person? Yeah, a minority Malay in, in, a in uh, majority, Singapore. Yeah, majority ethnic Chinese area. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Right. And especially because my grandfather came, we're actually from the islands. There wasn't like Malaysia or Singapore, it was M- Malaya. So it was one. So that's why I don't identify with any of these countries because we're from the islands around there. Hmm. After World War II, he got forced inland. So he was living in commission flats. And those were all different tribes of brown people who were put into a, <laughs> this commission flat environment. Yeah. All they did, sell drugs, murder people, whatever. And it's the stigma just went through throughout generations. And it was crazy. Me growing up around like being profiled because of my race, mm. not because of who I am, has always been there from yeah. the start. For example, like because I'm not a Bumiputra, which uh, Bumiputra means like a, a child of the land, yeah. you know, uh, although being born there, I don't have the same eligibility to like scholarships, to like grants or anything. Like, right. I'm like a second class citizen. Yeah, yes. yeah. Since young, my parents were like, you know, uh, if you have the means to leave this country, oh, right. you know, to seek a better life, yeah. you should, uh. you know. So that always been on my mind since I was young. When I got into punk, right, the punk scene gave me a little bit of escape from that whole like, you are Chinese, you're Indian, you're a Malay, you yeah. know, like that whole because everyone's like, just there for punk. Everyone, yeah, everyone's punk, there for you know? punk. It's not the first thing you think about. Yeah, but later on though, it did creep into mm. you know, like it came to my attention that like a lot of people. Were viewed me as like oh that's a Chinese kid because I was the only Chinese like ethnically Chinese kid mm. that was involved at the time well maybe there was one two or three of us but there was not many the Chinese community on the whole in Malaysia is thought to have like a higher uh, status in society because uh, you know they control the economy and all and all the truth is n- there are a lot of like poor Chinese people too, like yeah. me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got painted with the same stick, you know, like, oh, you know, that kid, he's not it's one a lot of, of money. us. Because yeah, like, yeah. He, he's not, like, he's not working class, he can't be punk, you know, b- bullshit like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, having had that my whole life and coming to Australia was like a breath of fresh air, mm. you know, being supported by, like, a group of people. You felt like you could, like, let your guard down yeah. a little bit or you could relax yeah. a little. Was it for school that you came here or...? Well, not really. I got into punk and uh, my first band, Mass Separation, we played a show in Singapore, our first show, yeah. with a band called Warsaw from Melbourne. And from there, I met uh, their bass player, Mark Harvey, who mm. I became pen pals with we traded records and whatnot we kept in touch way after they went home and whatnot and so uh through him i got all these demos of like melbourne hardcore cross bands punk bands and that made me interested to come here 
Right. I guess, and uh, at that point, that was all I could afford with the money I saved up. So I made it here. In terms of society's thinking and politics, and even like you know what music I was into, like in Malaysia, you know, at that point, because we we didn't have the internet and we we, we had a lot of like heavy censorship and whatnot. Everything we were into, right, was like probably like ten or twenty years too late so i was still into like 80s punk yeah. and hardcore <laughs> and like early 90s you know like uk hardcore and whatnot like heresy napalm death and all that stuff you yeah. know so when i came here it was like a whole different world for me i mean people were like into like the the newest bands and whatnot yeah and all these uh, ideas that um i read in profane existence and mm. maximum rock and roll heart attack they they were actually practiced here like people were squatting people were like dumpster diving it really caught my imagination that you know you could actually exist out of the system and so uh, that really attracted me to melbourne and uh, that wasn't my, the biggest attraction the biggest attraction were the people i met you know uh, i was looking up yup a bit about your bands and I kind of didn't realize like when I first met you and stuff I didn't realize that you at that point you hadn't even been in Australia that long you moved over in like 2002 or three mm, two. 2002 was your first band here ABC Weapons yes it was yeah <laughs> yes it was it was a band that really it was Tim's project yeah. and like I kind of was the new kid in town that was keen to play you know, music, so uh, got roped in to play, and uh, I had a lot of time on my hands because I just moved in, Yeah, and, and we were all living at a Pink Palace together. Yeah, in okay. So who lived there? It was me, uh, Phil Bastard, uh, Emily and Dave, oh, yeah. uh, from Straight Jacket and Piss Gross, and um, James and Kret, uh, this uh, old Polish punk rocker and uh, a bunch of like people who came and went. Point there, we have a few people from Malaysia staying with us and a few people from Czech Republic, Eastern Europe. We had a lot of punks coming through. Oh, and Tom McGuigan used to live there too. Oh, really? That's yep. cool. <laughs> uh, and Tristan, Tristan, yes. Oh, yeah. When you moved to Melbourne, like what was happening at the time? Like, because you, like, you talk about dumpster diving squatting and stuff like that the scene has changed so much since mm. then these aren't things that i know of where a lot of people really do these things anymore so we we lived at a pink palace yeah uh, on eastman street in northcote like yeah. if you take the tram and stop at the town hall up on ruckus hill oh, get right. off, yeah and we're basically right behind high street before i lived there i believe that place has been going for like four years before that, I lived there for three and a half, mm. and uh, we used to um, run punk shows out of there. We even did some international ones like uh, the Rambo uh, show and um, Unholy Grave. Back then, I would say the scene was less defined. You know, there was a bunch of us that was into uh, hardcore punk, but because the scene was not big, like it is now i would say now it's bigger but we are all in ours you know we we go to our own separate shows now which no, is kind of weird back then like the punk scene 
the DIY punk scene would have a lot of affinity with, say, the activist crew, you know, like the forest activist crew, the, yeah. the queer activist crew, also like the techno crew, you know, the people who uh, organize like uh, bush like doos and, and uh, you know, yeah. uh, abandoned warehouse rave and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, and I think that's, yeah, something I did want to talk about in this interview because I think it is so crazy how like there are still like some punks that uh have that involvement but a lot of it has moved away from that so when you got to melbourne you started piss christ like the next year right yeah we started piss christ the next year i remember that first year i um after the first year in melbourne i went back during uh christmas time mm. uh to visit my family and to touch base with my friends and then when i uh dave actually picked me up from the airport and say like hey how about it uh <laughs> so we got with me me jimmy and uh, timmy have been uh jamming uh, you know you you interested to sing with this band i think we're gonna call the band piss cries yeah, I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, if it's uh, Swedish hardcore, that's that's what they said. Uh, yeah. That's what uh, they've said. Like, it sounds like Swedish hardcore. I was like, sure, that's what I'm into. So yeah. sign me up. Because Piss Christ, everyone knows Piss Christ in that sort of music. You know, it's just like you were only around for like six or so years or something. Yeah. But it like blew up pretty big. I guess because we. In that six years, like, we were very prolific. We were also lucky because the right people saw us at the yeah, right time. Yeah, yeah. I think that sound was very and, popular at that time. And also, like, we were at the start of, like, when that sound was getting a bit of a resurgence. Yeah. You know? The people we knew put us in the right shows, mm. in the right festivals. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, th- we we got a lot of help. It wasn't just <laughs> us, you know. Like we, it's Take all all the people yeah. who made it uh yeah. made it happen together, you know. And that's the beauty of the punk scene, you know. So coming into Melbourne as well, you moved into this share house where, like, it was like a collective. You're like doing shows and stuff. Have you always been someone that is trying, like, trying to be proactive and like? Like, b- even back yeah, in Malaysia, yes, maybe? Yes, e- even back in Malaysia, like, uh, way before I was involved in putting on shows and whatnot, I was involved first in uh, activism and whatnot. And I I guess, like, what got me into punk uh, was the political side of stuff. Because mm. right until then, like yourself, you know, I was into punk because... Uh, I saw like some records with some shocking words and shocking <laughs> artwork, and that attracted me to it. Going to shows then and hanging out with skinheads and street punks didn't really do it for me because one side was really nationalistic yeah. and really gang culture orientated, mm. and the other side was like, you know, like it didn't feel like there was uh, the right thing worth fighting it, for. It wasn't right? the right thing, but yeah. then, but then I met some. Uh, people who, you know, were talking about like uh, doing grassroots activism and whatnot, and you know that music was introduced to bands like Crass, Conflict, and whatnot, and those bands, you know, they they actually did what they sang about, mm. and uh, 
well, most importantly, they they did sing about it and put those ideas into my head, you mm. know. So that got me into like putting on the jacket and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. And you've never taken it off. No, right? <laughs> no. I was involved in activism, yeah. and then uh, when I got a bit older, about like sixteen. Uh, 17 I started uh, because through my my pen paling with people overseas mm. I started organizing shows for those bands you know the first band I did was Unholy Grey from Japan yeah who I've been writing to and mm. they needed a show was this this was in Malaysia or? in Malaysia oh, yeah, yeah. so uh, I put on some shows for them mm. and it was probably the worst organization <laughs> but i was glad that someone gave me a chance yeah and then uh, after that was drags of humanity yeah. from brisbane i did a tour for them and that was the first time i actually booked like more of a international southeast asian tour i did like uh, malaysia singapore and thailand and i took them around uh yeah, did everything through phone. So I was honing in my organizational skills there. I know, like, last year you feel like you didn't do much because of COVID, but, like, your track record up until that point is definitely you're either doing bands, you're doing the label, or you're organizing tours for bands here, or your band's touring overseas. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite stories to tell people is when I saw Chromosome in Pittsburgh, and I saw you, like, get crowd surfed upstairs and then you just like <laughs> crowd surfed like out of the room and then you just like crowd surfed back in yeah like um, than, uh, jimmy and christina's house see i i, I get a lot from uh, playing music you know uh it it it's like an avenue for me to uh vent my frustrations and to be you know if i came up to you and jumped on your head you probably wouldn't like me very much <laughs> but you know because i'm playing music that's like the it breaks down the barriers you know and i get to sort of be who i really want to be inside. yeah <laughs> yeah did you both know each other before melbourne or like when did you guys meet actually pretty weird that i don't actually personally know yup before i yeah. came here because, okay, when um, I think Piss Christ played in Southeast Asia 2005, was it? How old was I back then? 19, 20 or so something you like to that. So you went to see that I show? I went to that show. So I was born in Johor in Malaysia, and they did a show in Johor with all the Singapore crew, like Hasip and everyone. It was crazy. When they were playing in a place called Youth Park in Singapore, like an old venue, and it went crazy as well. And we was like, who is this space Christ? I didn't know. We didn't have a lot of... I don't remember whether we did have access to a lot of internet back then. Probably not, yeah, right? Nah. No. So I was just going blindsided because I was exposed to a lot of like death metal and stuff from my sister who was playing in death metal bands. So I'm mm. like, space Christ sounds like death metal. And I'll just go and see this band. And then I'm like, oh, wait, they're from Australia, but... Oh, the lead singer doesn't look like he's from Australia. That's like, you get what I mean? Like, I was just like, what? This is cool. But I went for that. I didn't even pay for one of the shows. Stood outside and watched it. And I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. So that's how I first knew about, like, Piss Christ and Yup. And then I so think... So Yup got you into punk, like, 20 years kinda ago. Kind of like, yeah. Like but I didn't actually straight away went into it. Yeah. But I just went like, oh, okay. So everyone knew Piss Christ from 2005 onwards. It was kind of like everyone in the punk scene or even metal scene or grind scene or every scene in Southeast Asia had a Peace Christ patch. Mm. So you just got to have a Peace Christ patch 
or an unholy grave patch. Mm. That was just one of the things because these two bands were people just like listening to them over and over and over again. I guess that's where it grew from there. But I didn't really actually grew to that Swedish hardcore sound or, or even punked in that fact. Because mm. at, at that point of time, I was like, oh, maybe I just want to steer away. And I became like, you know, this delinquent skinhead walking around. I was, <laughs> and it was just crazy. But yeah, I, I didn't know Yup from there. But people did, you know, hang around with him and everything. I yeah, thought it was just like, oh, friends. this is a huge band and everything. I don't think I'm young. I don't think I'm going to hang out with these guys. You know, I'll just do my own thing. But we knew each other in when I kind of moved here three, four years ago. Yeah. Three shows, yeah. And you, uh, yeah. For me, like when I see a fellow Asian person mm. in in a sh- at a show, mm. I would go out my way to reach out. Mm. Well, actually, <laughs> you know what? I go out and reach out to any new person that yeah. I see at a show. Yeah. You know? yeah. But uh, I know what it's like to move here. You yeah. know, as like a new immigrant, and it's you know, like I like to reach out. Well, I think that's. Something that I kind of wanted to talk about as well, because I don't know what it's like to move here from a country, like, and move to a Western country, and you know what your like your family and community of punk is in that country, but still, like, having some sort of discrimination because you're a person of color in like a white country, and I'm not sure. Like, I mean, I guess. Between you moving here and you moving here, I kind of was just thinking about if there's been any changes or if it's um, if things are handled differently or... Oh, well, when I moved here, I was pretty much most of the time the only Asian kid at the show. Generally, like, everyone made me uh, feel welcome. You know, we united, like, on our interests in music and bands or whatever we were doing. Like, the issue of race never really was a question. In particular, like, the people I live with and uh, my bandmates, the people around me, the first people I met around me, really made me uh, feel at home mm. and uh, they really supported me and uh, yeah helped me through like it wasn't easy when I first moved here like there were things about how like things were accepted here which I didn't grow up with you know so it was a big culture shock I had culture shock and like uh, for a while and um, you know I was questioning like how things are done here and how how I did things right until then, you know. So, um, yeah, it was hard at first, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes isolating too. Yeah, for sure. Mm. But I had I had the you know uh, the scene and music you know to like keep me focused, you know. So yeah. I didn't really ponder on it too much. It was always in the back of my head though. Uh, right. Until uh, probably around the time towards the end of uh, Pace Christ and then the start of Chromosome, then I think it was the time where there were people who, like, you know, like, would probably pick on me and point out, like, you know, they'd pick on me uh, based on the, the color of my skin and my background and whatnot, which mm. was, like, up until that point, though, there wasn't anything like that. I mean... If there was any sort of like things where I felt like, oh, that was a bit, you know, that was not so nice. It was 
more like I felt like out of pure ignorance though. Yeah, you know, for sure. Like, it wasn't like malicious or anything. Yeah. But there was possibly one person who was malicious about it and pretty low-handed about it. But then like uh but then it was that one person but I I felt like, you know, the fact that, you know, the whole scene revolved around this person and whatnot, it made me feel more isolated. Yeah, definitely. You're talking about like the meat dog incident. Yeah, yeah, it, it's gone on for a few years, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. like I mean, it's over. It's over now. It's, or? it's over now. Na- mm, I, I, f- I don't think it's over for them. Yeah, but like you know, like it's over for me. Yeah, and sometimes you just need to, you need to put it aside. You know, I feel you like need to love. You need to like you know because nothing's gonna change. Nothing's gonna change. Yeah, you need to move on and do. What you do, you know. When it happened to you, it was, like, such a... Like, everyone knew about it. But it's just, like, people decided to to just forget about it because they'd rather remember the legacy of Meat Dog and his music, you know? And that kind of annoys me. Like, people... I feel like people are always just, like, that was so good. He was so cool. I'm like, but you know that he did, like, this racist shit and everybody just decided to look past it. One person is not going to ruin everyone else's fun. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. Um... But, like, it's also a shit way of looking at it because, like, when, like, I look at it from my perspective as, like, like going through something as a chick in the scene and then being like, well, I don't want to make a big deal out of it because, firstly, why is anyone going to care because I'm just one person? That's how I felt. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. You know, I felt very isolated in that way. And uh, even at that point when I made, I said it to... Uh, people that I was hanging out with at that time, mm. um, they didn't really uh, grasp the gravity, grasp of, the gravity how of it. Yeah, how shit it was for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the fact that you know, like a lot of people around, and my peers and my friends were like bigging this person up. Mm. It made it harder. Yeah, for me. Yeah. There was definitely some gaslighting happening, but to be honest, there wasn't gaslighting really because uh, he uh, there was because he was very direct yeah, about it was his very racism. Direct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the thing was the scene I came from, which is like the DIY cross hardcore punk scene, is very because uh, you know we only hung out with ourselves. We didn't really hang out with more of like the hardcore crew or anything so we were kind of very shielded away from this kind of ideas you know that was maybe more accepted by other scenes you know there came a point where i thought where i saw from piss christ that you know oh piss christ is actually breaching to other scenes Mm. you know getting acceptance and I, i i viewed that as a positive thing i thought like if i reached out different scenes you know and you know to to have a bigger we can have a more united scene yeah know? bigger shows like yeah 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 and i guess that was the point where i was exposed to more different kind of people and uh, i probably wasn't ready for that <laughs> which then signifies the difference between when when Yap first came and how he went through as an immigrant or a person of color yeah. Coming into a predominantly white scene. When I came in, there was already people like Rafi. 
yeah. those people who were pulling me down the strings. Rafi, there was a shirt. I mean, totally, we're not that close. And at that point in time, also, I came earlier, but also Kurt then came in. It's all these strong characters that came in from a certain region. And, you know, even, like, others from, like, South America or something, or from Eastern Europe, like, Ergin or something, like, other people. So there was heaps of immigrants. So the thing about... I remember one show in one year, it was, like, three years ago or something. It was just an immigrant mosh pit going freaking crazy. Yeah. I thought that <laughs> that kind of shit wouldn't fly with us from the point I came. Um, well, I did get a bit of shit from people who were like, oh, man, you're still here when you're going home. I'm like, yeah, piss off. <laughs> you serious? know, I'm like, what? Yeah, back, back then, it was, I guess, when it comes to immigrants, it was me and maybe one or two people from New Zealand. And then... Now Footscray, the whole scene is made up of yeah. <laughs> New Zealanders yeah, yeah, over yeah. there. Yeah, I guess, I guess towards yeah. 2009, 2008, that was when we saw like the first big wave of like uh, Kiwi punks coming. Is that when Bernie moved over? Yeah. And you fell in love? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, yes. <laughs> But I think, yeah, like, that. even having those people around you, it's like if something shit happens, you know you have people that have your back, you know, whereas you, will, yeah. you were put in a situation where, like, this thing yeah. happened and you felt mm. like... And I guess, like, for Yup, I, I guess I've always seen Yup as, like, oh, peace Christ, punk is left. It's always, like, he's always ready to, like, that's all right. Let's just push it, push, push it aside first. Let's do the music thing first, you know, where we can yeah. try and work things out and not really... But for me, like where, where I came from or whatever I've been doing before I came here, it was just political from the start, from the day I was born, like immigration issues from the day I was born. So I just feel so strongly about this kind of stuff that I guess that even being queer or whatever, like it's, this kind of shit just wouldn't fly, you know. We would just like stomp it up with utmost force that, you know, like that thing wouldn't even blow up, that person wouldn't even exist. Yeah. In this scene now, I'm, I'm talking about now, you know, yeah. this kind of like behavior of like racism or something. I think because of the support that we get on me hanging with other activist group, which involves like black people or other people, I guess this kind of people will never ever survive in this kind of scene. In nowadays, well, in the scene now, I had a lot of activist people around me too, but mm. I guess I just, just I just <laughs> I just didn't go around telling people, yeah. you know, like. Well, you, you kind of downplayed. I downplayed yeah. a lot, you know. And if is it a survival thing? Maybe. Yeah. You know. Um, you don't want to stir the waters even more, or uh, like. Yeah. yeah, and also um, it could look like me being petty or I'm singling out someone, you know. Which I I I never want to single anyone like you know like this person has done to me yeah know? i guess at the time too i was dealing with a lot more things like immigration you yeah. know uh, trying to prove my worth to this country yeah. to let me stay. i know how that feels <laughs> uh you know like uh, there was a lot of things going on in my head at the time punk aside you know my future relationships everything it was uh, really a turning point of my life and I didn't know if I was actually going to be able to stay here or not after living here for six years at that point. So since 2002, you've just been here pretty much the whole time besides besides like when you've gone off to tour and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I've been pretty much here. I feel like that's pretty cool just because I feel like these days it's so much harder for yeah, people so hard. to... Like, I mean, Australia's always been a really h hard country 
to move to that's yeah. like impossible when i first heard of like your story like oh yeah i did this during this time yeah and then six, six years, years later like, yeah how do you even do that oh, no, i'm like people no. come here for one year and then oh. they're just like oh i have they to get study. questioned yeah you have yeah. to study or you have to do some other well, visa. yeah it was actually really hard uh so i i got a student vi- visa and uh i i study in in congren with playing music and touring so that was my first visa and then after that i had a person that was seeing here and we did a partner visa together mm-hmm. but two months before i was actually going to get permanent residency she decided not to do it with me anymore oh no yeah. so then that's hectic then uh, i had to i pretty much at that point i was left with a decision what to do with if i need to go home or I need to look for other avenues and um luckily uh I had a job that sponsored me to stay. I paid for everything but they they put their name out there yeah to sponsor me. That's awesome. So that's how I ended up with a PR here. Yeah, it was a long process. Pretty much nine years till I got a sure thing that I'm going to stay. It's a weird feeling having that constant unsuredness. Yeah. Just that yeah. constant yeah. thing and now listening to you up is like oh it's nine years and I'm like three <laughs> four years here I'm like yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen now? Um, yeah. And at that point when I left Malaysia right I didn't see much of a future in what I wanted to do there. Mm. Like I want to play music, I want to take music as far as I I can and I also wanted to um, uh continue living life the way I wanted to live, you know, like not by the rules that were set up for me when I was born, which is mm. really Malaysia kind of like the Asian way, you know, mm. like your your life is set up for you, you know, your parents, your your community, you know, have this idea of who you should be. Mm. And if you're a bit different, you know, You're out. Yeah, yeah, you're out or they beat you into line. At that point, I I didn't really see it it, it was it was really stressful for mm. me because that was I had, had no to life back, back at home. Yeah. You know, I made I made something for myself here mm. uh despite not knowing if I was going to stay or go. Mm. Mm. God, that's yeah, very so stressful. And be sure. Having said that, right, the Malaysia that became after that became something which I didn't think it would become you yeah. know like now they're like autonomous um punk venues and like lots of bands lot of collectives you know um doing lots of good work for the community so you know like something which I didn't think I would see in my lifetime yeah you didn't see that oh yeah you didn't see that because you already Already, yeah, yeah I so I was there during the time when Rumabi was the like the punk space was mm. at the old space, yeah, yeah, and it was great. You know, like there was shows every week. There was chaos in Rumabi every year, yearly. They bring in even bands from you know Scum Raid and everything all played there. Were yeah, you, um, were you doing stuff to help out? I was doing other shows, yeah, at Rumabi because I know my brother, the person who runs the place. So I was doing other kinds of shows. We were doing other feeding stuff projects and this kind of stuff. It's more like a community space because there's like a record store upstairs. There were people doing bike workshops or something. There were people doing other stuff. So mm-hmm. I guess it did grow. Like yeah, it, it did grow into something. It was very different. cool. Yeah, and like yeah, definitely things that i saw here mm. i didn't think would 
would happen back at home, but it did. You yeah, know, it was great. Yeah, the nine years did shape me a lot because I came here very idealistic and always up for you know like being involved more than just music, but in in like the activism part of it. What really changed for me was that I uh, I had to kind of keep a low profile for Australian authorities and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. To like. Um, so that you know, I don't, I don't rock the boat. Uh, my chances to stay here. Yeah. So I really made a, a conscious decision. Oh, if I can do the best I can to support something, like say a cause that I want to support, I'm gonna put hundred percent into the punk community where I believe I can be most effective and I can affect change and help people you well, know. i think you've done a good job of it so, yeah uh moment you're involved in like some community stuff when you're back in yeah. Malaysia yeah you were doing um we were doing something stuff. like food program for homeless people yeah. around like uh, uh places where there's a lot of drug use or you know rough sleepers and we were trying to do that other than food not bombs uh, you know things around the rules around food not bombs where there's not supposed to be meat or anything but it's not certain areas right. it's just like you just have to add a bit of meat or something so we did something else and then I guess I just 
float in and out within like I didn't want to live in this country. It's just not me with me fully tattooed. I'm trying to explore myself or everything. And it's just so society itself there is just so constricting that I can't See, really. The idea of a tattooed person in mm. Malaysia is very foreign too. I got tattooed because I I wasn't born Muslim. Right. Mm. And but still with me having tattoos, I had to cover up because if you have tattoos, you're in a triad or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um and then a couple of years later, you know, uh I I see like uh ethnically Malay kids who getting tattooed. That's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a big thing in like the social psyche, I feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like a statement, you know. I'm just telling our parents and breaking boundaries towards people and stuff like, "Hey, yeah. you know what? I respect you. You know, I grew up in a Muslim family. I respect you and all my mom or whatever my family mm. to have your decision of stuff, but I'm going to physically show you that I do not believe in that." And by doing that, it's just not like I look like I'm in a triad or something, but no, I just go like you know full on like okay, I'm you know disassociating with you mm. in a form like this is my identity and yeah. I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna own it, mm. whether you like it or not. Well, a lot of people didn't like it because <laughs> right until then, right when I was living there, a lot of my f- friends and people around me were like we were all punks. Hmm. But at the same time, you know, our culture and religion was very much a backbone in in the midst the, of it, the yeah. mental mentality and lives. You hmm. know, in a few years, they go back to yeah what, what they grew up with. You yeah, know? get married and uh, then go yeah, to a yeah, mosque. Yeah, seeing a new generation of punk kids in Malaysia that were like, uh, you know, getting tattooed and. More open towards queer more, rights and yeah, stuff. Yeah, more I guess. open towards like different ideas. Yeah. yeah, like there was a lot of still a lot of I- sexist and homophobic ideas like yeah. back when I was there, mm. which I didn't agree with. But I had to like close one eye cause that's know, because that's everyone there. Everyone there, <laughs> you know, it was like me against the whole world. The whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess I, that's what I went through as well. Cause yeah. then me coming out, I was like, what? Well, a lot of my older friends like, well, we kind of knew, kind of like, you know, softy in a way. I'm <laughs> like, okay, cool. But when I came here, it gave me a platform to like, you know, try to explore myself. When I came here, my my main aim to get out, well, I went to Europe and stuff and I mean, it was just too hectic. I'm just, yeah. I didn't know what I would do. Is This is the closest. So I got a bunch of money to try and move here and whatever. Got a trade school, the cheapest trade school. Yeah. Just experienced life somewhere else in a Western country where I think I could explore myself. And finally, I did, like, okay, this is me now, and mm. blah, blah, blah. Well, then, coming back to my friends who start looking at my Instagram, and they were like, what happened to you? Yeah. Some of them were like, yeah, we were friends for 15 years and whatever, but this is where we draw the so line. So you've lost, you've lost friends. Oh, I've lost heaps of friends. Yeah. They were just like, and some of them were like, yeah, you just took cooked, you went to Australia, partied too much, and something went short circuit in your brain, <laughs> and now you mm. became this other person. Mm. And yeah. I think... I would say at least half of the friends were actually, that's where we draw the that's line. Crazy. You can yeah. do tattoos and whatever. You can do this. You can do that. You don't yeah. want to pray. You don't want to follow the relig- religion. It's fine. But for us accepting you being this way mm. as a non-binary trans person, they would be like, that's where we draw the line. Because then it's us versus our God. And, yeah. you know, we can't support you. Yeah. yeah. Fair yeah. enough. But you came to Australia. Like you just said that, like, you came here knowing that that was something you wanted to explore. So I feel like... Actually, not specifically that. So right. I came to Australia thinking that, why did I come here? To actually 
explore myself yeah. in, in, in general, you know, music-wise or activism or, like, myself in general. And I think I kind of, like, halfway found it, you know. Yeah. And I got more involved in the activism. I got super deeply involved in all this kind of stuff. And also music-wise, through also, you know, like, Yup and everyone. I got more involved studying a band with Yup and got more involved in playing back the bass again, getting mm. involved in music. I miss the whole era of, like, Hot Shots or was that pink pellets and all this yeah, I missed yeah. it all so I came at a point where there was nothing there was no space where punks would congregate and like here in Melbourne shout, yes yeah there's no place there really isn't hey. there isn't like so I mean the turt doesn't count you yeah know? Like, the I mean, turt doesn't count it's just a there's no commu- like community yeah. spaces and even with like um, IRL info shop it's kind of like it's not big enough where it's like not, a lot of people can go yeah, there you know it's not it's just like a bookstore where yeah, yeah they did like you know different stuff where uh, prison letter writing and everything so I knew yeah. people like Annalise, Annie and Britt and everything from there and yeah. I was like Okay, first, because I didn't knew them first. I knew, like, the other punks first because I saw Ruffy at some wasteland show at some abandoned factory in Footscray, and I'm like, yeah. sweet. <laughs> yeah. And then I totally got into the whole punk thing, like, oh, let's get drunk and blah, 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 and I'm like, I want to do something else. Yeah, yeah. Then I saw this other group of females doing stuff, like, oh, they have that library thing. Where did this come from? And then I heard about Hot Shots. I'm like, oh, a community space that were also run by essentially punks. I would say my life is... Pr- in Melbourne was mm. pretty much like yours when yeah. I was first came. Yeah. By the time you came here, I'm knee deep in like diapers and like <laughs> trying, to, trying yeah, to raise yeah. a child, you know. So yeah. pretty much that wasn't my life anymore. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, like Melbourne back in the day, uh, oof, I feel old saying that. <laughs> back yeah, in the day. back in my day. Like it was, it was really cool, you know, living at the Pink Palace because it was a real autonomous space where like, People came and we collaborated with them with whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Like, we had forest activists, like, fundraisers. Like, uh, we had a bunch of queer nights. It was, like, it felt like a very different time where, like, Mm. you know, there was less, like, red tape and, like... Um, I kind of wanted to hear about, like, yeah, the activism that you were doing and then, like, what you're doing now as well. Like, even just to see, like... That, that, that there the are things yeah. still happening, but yeah, there is like a little bit of difference with okay. the time. The kind of activism that I'm doing, well, at the first part, uh, or even pre COVID, pre COVID, I think pre COVID, yeah, because was just going to rallies and stuff. What I learned about this country was just so dark. I just don't know when I, before I came here, I was like, Australia, surfing country, where all the you know, there's mm. punks, there's this, then that. And I came here, I'm like, oh my God, colonization is still ongoing. Places like Jepurong. I went to Jepurong, the country, to stand, you know, blockade, frontline, cops came, everyone, knowing that my visa was on the line because yeah. I believe that I came here also as a settler being presented the wealth from stolen land that mm. these people have, that has been grabbed from this, so from the First Nations people. And I felt really strongly towards that being having battle with like a lot of immigration issues or racism issues as since I was born because mm. I wasn't Malay I'm a Bugis person who was from the island we had five genders we were totally different from a lot of people in Malaysia you know so right. I've been facing that so I felt like okay I need to do something so I've been in Jepurong, you know, I'm trying to protect the sacred trees, 800 years old. Hopefully now it's just, you know, not going to happen again. Yeah, mostly a lot of First Nation stuff. And I knew people from West Papua actually just last two years. And I was like, oh, what's happening there? 
and you know my descendants were from Indonesia of some parts and Indonesia now is actually colonizing West Papua with you know a lot of mining interests from huge companies that were and um, the Indonesian army and everything were trained is still trained by the AFP to kill innocent indigenous people there and I'm like what am I doing with my life mm. when and these friends now all my family they live in the north side in the Collingwood flats I spend a lot of time there Although I'm the only punk, I would hands down I would say I'm the only punk who you know hang around and does that. We do shows at the Collingwood Underground show where we try to introduce punks to black communities, to flat communities, yeah. to different communities, and y'all played that as well. Two mm. shows there, and it was super sick because we had mm. rap, hip hop, punk, and then and now you know like the West Papua guys. I want to start a punk band. I want to start yeah, a punk yeah. band because of the intensity of it. Yeah. When they first talked to me, they were like, "What the hell? We thought punk was a white thing." But then we saw you, I'm like, hello. It's it's all about representation, I guess. Yeah. 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 You know, like, uh, and that brings more people. If there wasn't, you just have to put on a brave face and yeah. go, go for it, you just know? go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's yeah. the mostly. Yes. I guess I yes. I wanted to do more stuff. You know, like maybe I'll look m- more into doing stuff where I actually not on the front line anymore. Because now I'm hearing like yup stories. Or a lot of people, you know about visa issues and stuff or legality issues or what I'm doing and stuff. I felt like sometimes I just flip and just whatever. I'll just drive I mean, around the country and yeah. just put myself Sometimes <laughs> from my experience, I tell you, hey, you should watch out, you know, yeah, take 100%. care. And, and that's out. coming from and a place of care. And concern, it's yeah. coming from a place of care, but it might sound like I, I'm just telling you, but, you know, like maybe now after hearing my experience, you might go like, oh, okay. <laughs> you right, know, like... going to risk my... <laughs> he's not yeah. just talking out of his ass, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, like, yeah. Yap always does give me a lot of advice and stuff. I always just think of the heat of the moment. I'm like, I'm going to do this. Let's go do this. Let's organize all these people. Go up, stand on the front line and stuff. But I think there are other things. Like, I respect people who do it through music. Mm. Like, I've just shared... Recently, with Yup, uh, they're gonna organize, you know, playing in front of Swanson Street where they're keeping like 20 refugees there in the hotel mm-hmm. in Swanson Street, Carlton. Yeah, 701 Swanson Street, Carlton. They were trying to do a show there, but I think the punk thing wasn't their thing. So, oh, Yup was like, I wanna play. You yeah. know, now, so well, Yup's giving his music thing to like, I can't do this, but mm. I can do this. Yeah. And we're gonna make a lot of noise in front of that. Actually, you know, like th- that thing, like, uh, was done back in the day too, you know, mm. like with Reclaim Melbourne and whatnot, like oh, Reclaim ones, yeah. the Streets. That was something we did like every two or three years where like uh, different groups come together and just reclaim streets in Melbourne, like rec- Reclaim Smith Street. Yeah, so it's good to hear that still. It's yeah, I think again. that it's still, I'm just trying to, you know, I don't know, people are doing a lot of stuff now. People are busy, people have, mm. you know, careers or families or everything it's very hard to like try and get bu- people out yeah get people yeah. out actually and i think like yeah i feel that as well because people are doing like people do raffles for example sarah Halley, just yeah. doing raffles no, for yeah, RL or something. Yeah, yeah. that's a huge thing you're getting money for all these families who wants to get christmas hampers for needy families yeah that's mm-hmm. another form of activism yeah definitely. when people say oh you're not on the front line so what if you're not on the front yeah line? Mm-hmm. people are doing online stuff Agreed. raffles People doing music stuff and, and you know, yeah. like you know, we like made a band and everything. Yeah, all the lyrics are about empowerment and stuff. So I guess you know, that's we, part of it we, as well. We raise money through our music and we donate it to mm. all these things. Yeah, maybe we d- we don't put it on social media and say, hey, we donated X yeah, amount of exactly, money. But yeah. doesn't mean we don't 
do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I come from a time where, like, nothing we do goes on social media. So mm. sometimes, you know, like, it stays like that. I guess back then, like, there was almost every show Piss Christ played was a fundraiser. Yeah. You know, like, uh, we fundraise for everything. We fundraise for, like, the... The Melbourne Anarchist Group, we fundraise for like uh, women's inside, uh, mm. you know, all kinds of organization. We've we fundraised a lot for the Black Star Collective. We fundraised mm. for Gungra. Everything that we align politically to, we did. Yeah, it was like the richest, poorest band. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, the most popular. Haiko, <laughs> is this your first band? This one you're doing with the Up. Over here, yeah, I did have like when I was younger some project bands that never really you know kicked off. But this is one of the with Yup taking me on his wings with all his music stuff. You know, his so. Are you singing in this band or playing? Yeah, singing a bit, singing and playing bass, bass as well. Yeah. I try to sing as much as I can while playing. I can't. I'm still. <laughs> <laughs> I write a lot of ly- lyrics as well. Mm. Um, yeah, of course, does a lot of music. But then we come together with Rafi as well and try to you know, change it here and there. Yeah, the songs, of course, will be, like, political, but more of, like, songs of empowerment. And it's UKD, too. It's supposed to be, like, a fun, you know. So, yeah, first band here. I learn heaps, you know. I just come to band practice. I don't even know how to set my bass and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was good. It was good having Heiko on board, you know. I've always wanted to start a band that could sing in my native language, mm. and it was. But it it was it's good to share it with like a bunch of kids that came from where I did, mm. and yeah. you know, like I've been thinking a lot about what we've been discussing, and what I did really enjoy about Reaxi was because, you know, apart from playing the music. After we play, we could talk about our experiences, mm. and I didn't have to really explain myself, but they would just get it. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I was like, oh uh, yeah, we did yeah, that heaps so over yeah. beers you know, like, after band practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, right, totally. Um, so up to the up until the point where this person started writing uh, mock uh, inter racist racist interviews of me in his zine and uh, started painting like racist murals of, of me. Mm. I, I have been so conditioned that mm. like, oh, this is just another person trying to bring me down. Yeah, for I mean, sure. You know, out of the punk scene in Australia too, like I take a train to Geelong or whatnot, I take a train to Eltham, you know, there were people who want to fight me just because like I look like a punk and I'm Asian, you know. Yeah, yeah. I went to Ikea like... Uh, Two years ago, and like there was a guy who like spat on me. You know? Serious? This shit's you know? still happening. So it, 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 it still happens daily. But insane. like you know, like yeah. I've been conditioned. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I just know? like yeah, yeah. find it's it insane, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I it, this I've been conditioned to have like a skin that's so mm. thick. I know, like I should be angrier when people are, like uh you know racist towards me. Yes, it does hurt, but like. I'm not going to be victimized by them. Yeah, you know, totally. I'm, I got my eye on the prize and I mm. know what I want to get out of like... And you're doing you know, it, you know. Yeah, and I'm yeah. doing it, you know. So yeah. I try to take the negative and use it to do something positive.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Have you like had experiences like yeah, being in, in Australia? Public? public and punk. Yeah. Um, punk, actually no, but you yeah. can kind of feel that sometimes in a circle you're excluded. You just kind of feel mm. that. And in terms of like, Generally, yes, there's a lot of racism that goes on here. Taking the train, or I've been, well, mm. as, actually, just when I started dressing more femme, that even got worse. Mm. Because when I'm being like this, I think because, like, my hair and everything, if I'm more, like, male-presenting, people don't really go up to me and be like, we kind of, like, don't want to touch this person. We don't know where they're from or something. Yeah, they yeah. look a bit violent, like some red Indian or something, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know what's in their mind. But I, I guess... You know, just a year ago or something, or one and a half years, where, you know, it started being more femme-presenting, I was kind of, like, attacked three times. One of it, actually, was very funny. I think it's almost three years ago. There was this rally in St. Kilda. It was the far-right rally. Mm. And we came as a um, counter-protest. I went with my then-housemate last time, three years ago, Jane, and this other person, John, who was working with the Greens or whatever, you know, like, but we were just this political group going there. Mm. Stupidly enough, I wore a full-on dress punk. Went there not knowing anything. I was like, oh, having a bit of drink. Like, oh, cool, St. Kilda. I saw Tessa there, actually. So we went there. So I was there in the first front line. So, you know, the right-wing people were there. All those popular True Blue crew were all there. They were huge and they were on the piss. We could see it. So then they saw me just behind the police line. And they were like, dead cunt. Yeah. Oh fuck! And they were like that one. They started sick hailing in my face, and I'm like, "This is bullshit. I don't know Australia had this shit." So I told the cops, "Like, is it legal here for people to do this shit?" And the guy just sick hailing my face, and I lost it. I went in front, and I was just kind of like choked slammed by the cop. Mm. That's when I knew I'm out. I don't want to be in this part of Israeli. I don't know the people left and right of me. Yeah, yeah. I gotta get you know. So I went back, and Tessa. Said, hey, Heikel, can you, um, you know, accompany me to the car? I feel a bit scared, you know, all this. Because we were broken up by the cops and the Nazis were, or the right-wing people were actually trying to attack people, pockets of people going home. Mm. So fair enough, we walked, me, Tessa, John, and Jane, walked back to Tessa's car and suddenly this guy came in. This is a Muppet show, man. I don't understand. His Aussie accent was pretty thick. Mate, <laughs> like, um, hey, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> but he said something like, that's a shit show, a Muppet show. I don't understand. So I was talking to John. He was a bit queer. So John's like blowing kisses. And, and then he got pissed. Yeah. He started attacking this person, John. And I, I flipped it. I'm like, don't touch my friend. I was like, get out. Yeah. They were so like pockets of Nazis trying to attack us, right? And then Tesla was just like froze. Mm. And I'm like, what do you want? He's like, I'm not a Nazi. I'm from Queensland. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. You don't even know you're a Nazi. Yeah. What do you, what don't you like? You don't like this person because he's trying blowing kisses at you? Or I thought you don't like me. So here I am, like, you know, attack me. So of course, that was one of the part that we got attacked, but we got away and, you know, went home. 
But then the other one was like a squad party. That was more of me. That was when I was more male presenting. So when I was more femme presenting as being as a BIPOC person who's femme presenting, you're putting yourself way down. Mm. In society, you are nothing already. Mm. You know, being mm. BIPOC is there. Being like trans or, or mm. non-binary, it's just, mm. you yeah. know, you're just nobody. When the squad parties almost got jumped, mm. attacked at the door by like lads or something, and then last two years... Um, Wait, this was in punk or no? This was just like a oh, okay, fundraiser okay. squad party. So okay. I always go to these activist fundraiser squad parties yeah, and yeah. stuff. So it was like a techno party or whatever. Right. So of course, lads came in trying to find the weakest link. I almost got you know like rolled for my money and whatever. So I was like, now I know they're like, I'm the weakest link now. I gotta mm. be careful. But next year, New Year's, not this last two years or something. Oh, the year before. We went to Sunshine Silos or something. I was alone. I was wearing a nice dress and everything. I should have known, you know, this bunch of dudes came up and like we were with all punk girls, you know, and then yeah. we were just like, and they were like, oh, are you even into guys and stuff? I'm like, oh shit, this is going to happen again. But I was like, oh, we're going to have fun. Fair enough. The guy wanted to ask me for something and I'm like, no, I'm not going to give you. Yeah, and yeah. And they started just punching me repeatedly. Mm. And that actually set the path for my whole year where I was just kind of traumatized. Mm. I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Or... People like me, we have to have a lot of preventative measures just to have but fun. But it also, like, I mean, yeah, definitely. But also it sucks that you're like, I should have known because you, sh- it shouldn't have to be like yeah, that. You, know, shouldn't you shouldn't have to have, to have, like have those preventative measures where you, you don't have to, like, yeah. you're going to go out in a dress and you don't have to, like, be like, okay, where am I going? Is it safe for me to go out in a dress here? What type of people around there? Am you I have to be plan. Attacked, yeah, you know? everything has to be pre-planned. Yeah. So I did that this because I was too egoistic i'm like i'm gonna take my space and i'm gonna do it mm. but this year mm. i was being more proactive and i said i'm gonna stay in groups i'm gonna stay in this we went to a mm. squad party actually this new year's mm. thing in reservoir stayed safe heaps of crazy people around but i stayed safe because i stick by the plan because mm. i took a step back and i didn't take space yeah you know i just hit behind people and stuff it was pretty sad but i guess like that's just our life you know you can't yeah. I don't know. I don't know how else to prevent it from happening because that thing, I thought I was strong. Mm. But those few instances where it just shaped my life, yeah. now, I was just so paranoid about everything. And it's yeah. hard to fight sometimes, to fight for space. And like the attack yeah. that you get back is like, <laughs> sometimes it's worth just taking a step back, which sucks yeah. that you have to do that. But you have you to think have to about it, like, you know. is it worth yeah, is, is it, it worth it? it Which know? is like the same shit, like you know, with you and Meat Dog and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe the same, yeah. Yeah, I think it, there is the similarity yeah, there. Yeah, Different yeah, experiences, sure. I mean, but similarity. Yeah, the latest incident that happened to me was actually last year. Yeah. Uh, uh, around hardcore victim. So actually, there was a first night where we've got all the bands that were playing, like from Korea and Japan. Malaysia, they were all in Melbourne already, mm. and uh, I put them up at Bendigo Hotel. It was late in the night, and we were down doing shots and playing pool in the front area of Bendigo. Yeah, and there was like some drunk people there, like drunk dudes, and so I didn't, I dudes. didn't really hear. <laughs> he looked like he was friends with like the the bar manager. Mm. You know, he was really drunk and belligerent. I didn't really hear what he said, but I heard what he ended with was like, you know, he was he was staring at us. Mm. 
all the time. Mm. And we were goofing around, having fun, you yeah. know, drinking and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. Just, you know, loud music was blaring. We were having a good time. And I did not really hear what he said, but I, I heard the tail end of it was like crazy fucking Asians. Jesus. So I, you know, I, I let myself get angry and I, I, I totally jumped on him and I had him in a headlock and I was going to beat the shit out of him. Mm. A lot of times when people are racist towards me, I get so angry because I'm usually at that point, I'm shocked. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm shocked well, and I didn't know time, how to, you know? I didn't know how to react, yeah, right? Yeah. I didn't know how to react. Later, when I think about it, I, was like, I should have like, you know, reclaimed my rights then. Like, this is the other side of my psyche. Well, where it's, hard I'm to, like, it's hard to where, have a you know, conversation yeah, when you just yeah. want to like... I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to take this negative thing and do it positive. Mm. But there's another side of me who is really hurt. And yeah, like, I'm, sure. I'm fucking angry. So this was that one time where my other side came out <laughs> and I, I, I grabbed him and I got him in a headlock I and whatnot. I of you. Yeah, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and then, like, then my other side sat in where I... This is not even the first night of hardcore mm. victim. If I beat this guy now, yeah, I might be in the slammer, yeah, yeah, and the festival will be gone. You know, this festival that we put up, which you know invited all these bands from Asia, you know, to show like mm. my scene in Melbourne that and Australia that you know like we don't always have to look towards the West for yeah, our yeah. hardcore punk. You know, yeah, we can yeah. look to all our neighbors around us in Asia. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I, I weighed it up and I was like, you know what? <laughs> this piece of shit is not worth it, yeah. you know? And I just kicked him out. Yeah. And that was it. Oh, that's know? great. He got kicked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Well, uh, like, yeah, okay, like Bendigo yeah. Hotel was really apologetic over it, but... Yeah. The bartender was. Yeah, the bartender yeah, yeah. was. But yeah, we, we did our own kicking. Yeah, know? yeah. Like, yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah, and it makes you it 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 baffles you in 2019. There are still yeah. people like that in the yeah. inner city. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. Having said that, it does not really surprise me when there are people like that in punk and you know in activist scene and whatnot. Too. There are all. I there's mean, a lot of conditioning. Yeah, like not to say condition like to use that as an excuse, but it's like even people that think they're progressive still have that conditioning yeah, you know yeah. like we all have something yeah that we're like yeah we know it's not the way we know that there's a different way of thinking but we've been brought up and we have this yeah how could we educate this kind of people how yeah, it, could yeah. we include them yeah instead of exclude them i don't know maybe that's the future thing we think about i don't know i had this experience you know where i thought similarly you know and it probably was in my time in chromosome mm. uh where like I felt like, or we, sh as a scene, or a band or person, you know, who's doing things, should be more active in like trying to bridge that gap and to close in the gap. And we we played with like metal, like mm. in the metal scene and mm. like um, sometimes it's know, not like worth it. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, in the in, in yeah. the skinhead scene, you know, mm. and sometimes it's not worth it. Mm. You know, the bands you play with, like yeah, they you share a lot of similarities with them, and you have a lot of things. They they got good politics, but you know their fans mm. might not. Yeah, 
And well, especially with punk, I feel like there's always that element of people going to a show because they know it's a chance for them to be in a pit and, and like, be macho mm. and stuff. And it's, like, and there are people there that, like, actually enjoy, like, you know, yeah. being in a pit, enjoying the music, like, that, like, release of energy of, like, dancing around. But some people actually just go to shows yep. to, like, pound on people. <laughs> I mean, you know? yeah. I mean, I, I've been at, like, a marching order show before. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I like that band. You know, and and like there was a bunch of like uh, bonnets there with like uh, swastikas, like you know, on oh your head God. and you know, everywhere. Well, actual yeah, that were like looking at me the whole time. You know, like trying to intimidate me and yeah. like zig howling in my direction so and stuff. Dumb. You know, yeah. So those are were the things that I felt like in the end, and and at a metal show, like we played a metal show, and this plain clothes. Dude, you, you you wouldn't think that this person's dodgy at all, but tried to recruit Chromosome to play an NS like a uh, party, you know? Like <laughs> I was like, hang on, dude, can't you see that yeah. I'm like not white? Said, yeah. like, oh no, we're not, we're not about like racialing and stuff. <laughs> well, we're just about like we're about you know? national socialist. That's all. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing, you know. Like, yeah, like I think yeah. I think the messaging has oh changed, and they're trying yeah. to clean their profile you know like like you know like back in the day when you see a bonehead with swastikas on them you know like oh i'm gonna stay away Mm. right but nowadays (laughs) you know they infiltrate really which is yeah which is really scary yeah so like i i actually pulled back you know and started like only working with people that i know and booking bands that i know you know, politically uh, aligned. Yeah, yeah. politically True. aligned. And it's not that you're n- trying to stay in like a certain group or be no. narrow. It's just that you have tried to branch out, and you yeah, get you get to yes. pick when you want to do it and when you don't want to do it because exactly. trying to be open to everyone, like exactly. you, you start getting burnt. You know, exactly. Like, yeah, totally. exactly. You, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, like you know, and that's what led me. I mean, like you know. Uh, I've heard some people like uh, you know over the last few years say like oh why book the always the same bands or why il- it's hardcore victims elitist. It's not that we are. Mm. It's because of experience that mm. we're like let's keep it small, but at least we know what we have is cohesive, you know, and we built from there rather than trying to cast the net real far and make it real big, but then and then just copy shit from everybody. Just diluted, you know, and yeah. you know like. People just don't get that what we're about. I mean, I can safely say that I went to like hardcore victim last year, and like you know, everyone was having a good time, and mm. uh, it felt good that you know, you know, like seeing faces that we know, and like we're all having good time. It was for such the same a great reason. time. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so good. It was yeah. one of the best, I think. Like for calling a lot of um, Southeast Asian bands, who are the top tier? You know, like. Even top tier modern bands there here, you know, like mm. Scum Rain, one of the craziest bands, mm. you know, to ever come out from that scene. And also Lifelock, one of the oldest punks in Southeast Asia. Um, he had Brain Cell as well, oldest punks and paying that sort of like Doom style, you know, like where no one actually really plays it over here. And I guess like bringing them all together with all the flight tickets and accommodation and whatever that hardcore victims and also mates from Southeast Asia flying in mm. and everywhere and everyone's just in a group, I felt like, yeah, that was kind of like the turning point where I think that 
maybe I do want to play in a band, you know? Yeah, <laughs> maybe I yeah. do want to engage in this Because there music is good stuff, you know? Like there is good stuff. As much as, like, you go through those experiences, sometimes you're just like, why do I put up with so much shit and, like, <laughs> and keep doing punk stuff, you know? Like, you're like, why am I still here if I've, if I've been copying so much crap, you know? Um, or you just have to fight to keep doing something that you like, you know? But that's the thing. It's like you yeah. like it enough that... I mean, when I was younger, yeah, it was about community mm. and whatnot. But now being 40, uh, yeah. it was pretty much I'm doing it also for me, you know, yeah. my own selfish reasons. Now it's like, about Yup getting um, a lathe cut on Winter Garden Records. Nah, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nah, yeah. By the way, check out the new <laughs> enzyme yeah, totally, age on yeah. Winter Garden Records. Oh, <laughs> uh, But no, it, I mean... The selfishness is uh, not about doing it for myself, but doing it for myself as in bringing the bands that I want to see mm, out yeah. and not just like the bands that contact me and say, hey, can you do a show for us? Mm. It's like, yeah, I'll do it for the scene, you know, because I I, I might not be into you, but I think... You're trying to give everybody, you know, like give up, everyone you know. something. Yeah, yeah. But like when nowadays, like I don't get to do much. Mm. So I have to pretty much just like think like, who do I want to, you know, who do we want to bring out? And the whole reason behind bringing out all those bands was like LifeLock uh, from Singapore, uh, Shamse, the bass player, he pretty much stirred me in the right direction when mm. I was a teenager, mm. uh, f like the right bands to listen to, you know? Yeah, like yeah. he put me on to like more of like the Japanese, like 80s Japanese stuff, like confused mm. and uh, late, you know, like the ninety, the, like the contemporary nineties. <laughs> yeah, he was like my Yoda, you know. Yeah. He put me onto like disclose, like the contemporary nineties stuff. Brain cell, they were people I grew up with, mm. you know. Like uh, we were teenagers together, like we were from the same area, you know. So it was pretty special to bring out like all my friends, you know, mm. um, and Zainos, you know, Toyo, who's been oh, doing yeah. artwork for, for, for Chromosome and like all my projects like for many years, and uh, Scum Raid, who I think are great, and Pen Pals and Trading, you yeah, know. So yeah. like it's really, really a selfish pleasure, really, you know. <laughs> and I think the turning point, uh, you know, where like I felt like everyone knows now it's not cool with the whole meat dog thing was mm. really when straight uh not straight jacket like uh Scab when, when scap eater really called out yeah called that called him nathan out. particularly yeah you know, which is and huge. you know like seriously what what am i gonna do i i i've said it in the past mm. really and people say like but you're yup you know like who is he you know like if you go out on a witch hunt on him, it's going to look like bu scene bullying. Which is you know? what he was doing to you, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, on the other side, everyone just shrug it off as like, this I is private that. beef, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not private beef. Yeah. Like, you, you're not attacking something about my person. Mm. You're attacking something about my profile and mm. my race you know something race, that yeah. i no control about mm. you know <laughs> and yeah i think that was the turning point where like it brought into the psyche of people like hey maybe it's not okay i think it needed to come from white kids you mm, know saying yeah. that no know? totally white guys don't understand that like them saying things to their friends about why like 
you know, like abusing women or stuff like that. Mm. It's just like the chicks say it, guys just don't get it, guys don't get it. And mm. they, but then guys just don't understand why they're the ones that have to talk to their friends. Like they don't want to lose those friendships. And yes. it's just like, but n- they're not going to listen to a bunch of chicks, you know, they're going to listen not, to their yeah. guy friends, you know. Exactly. And it's like, and if you're losing a friend because of that, then they're not fucking worth it. Yes, yeah. because they're yes, shit. You, you know? really hit it on the head. Yeah. Mm. Like, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. They have to, yeah. Everyone has to make a ten. So, uh, all my everyone has to make their friends accountable for their action. That's as easy as that. And accountability doesn't is not a form of like outing people. No, mm. it we should introduce it as a language of love, care, and compassion for your friends who want to change. There are people who know how to do stuff like undercurrent or RL. There are people who are trained in this kind of stuff who have been saying that they are trained and they are willing to help. Mm. But that's where you go to different avenues or different NGOs or other people to go and try and seek support mm. people who are trained or who do studies in this kind of thing to try and, you know, yeah. help out. How I started Hardcore Victim. So yeah. it was 2009. At that point, me and Bernie been together for a year and uh, we were hanging out with our dear friends from Tear Gas and they have at that, that point was the second release on hardcore victim first release first release first ever release right, yeah. and at that point they only had like this awesome demo and i was saying like hey you, you know you, you you guys should really record a seven inch and go touring like i i think the world would really want to because being out there myself mm. i've been tra- at that point i've been you know, they played chaos you, and chaos. Yeah, yeah, I've been to Europe. I've been to America. Played those festivals and Japan and whatnot. I was like, guys, what you got? You really could bring this band and tour. You know, like you guys should do it. And it's like, oh, we got no plans to record. We got no one to release our record. And Bernie was like, you should do it. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, I do not know. Like up to that point, I've released records for. For bands that tour, like Leband and Toden, I released like Type, I released like something for Short Live, but they were like no label releases mm. just to help the tour. And Bernie was like, You should do a label and like, you know, help these bands <laughs> from our community get the same experience you have, you know, in Piss Christ and like try to expose more bands like outside you know and that's pretty uh, I bet I she s- regretted that like eight years later yep. when you're putting out <laughs> stuff and she was like help me take care of the kids and you're like I can't I'm touring these bands no but uh, Bernie I, I said to Bernie I'll do it yeah. <laughs> if you come in on it with me oh yeah and so it was like our first child, you know. Hardcore yeah, yeah. victim is our really our first child, <laughs> you know. And it, how do you put uh, that in the Christmas photos? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Victim's logo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've grown a lot over the years, and like yeah, starting with Tear Gas, you know, uh, uh, putting out their records and uh, getting them in touch with uh, you know Greg and Timmy and all mm. to put on the shows and for them. And then uh, it really grew from there, really. Am I allowed to talk about your release, your band's release? Because this is your next. This is your next release. Do you want to tell me? (laughs) Do you guys want to tell me a bit about? Go for it. Yep. You go for it. (laughs) Um, The band name uh, we thought about. There's a lot of band names that we were thinking about. I didn't want to be too macho, me being a queer and everything, but it will be, you know. So we got a name called Reaxi, which means reaction. Which means that reaction when you get, when you see me playing UK82 as like, you know, I'm going to be fan presenting as hell. And what's your reaction? Or the reaction that we get from colonization or from 
the borders or from immigration or stuff that's the reaction that we get and this is the reaction that we're going to give it to you so that's the band name that we thought about yeah it's a, f- a five song seven inch that's going to be released in uh europe and the u.s on la vida and mm. uh available in Asia and Australia through hardcore victim. Really, it's it's a it's a project of passion. Really, you mm. know, uh, getting together and us being able to sing in our native language. Yes. Uh, the the EP is is uh, titled Esok uh, Hari Kepunyaan Kita, which literally means tomorrow belongs to us. Mm, Not the casualties. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the casualties. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and and it's a bit of like. Uh, a shout out to like all the kids back at home uh, where we come from, you know, like, yeah, also true. life is tough, uh, you know, but uh, we got to keep pushing and, mm. you know, yeah. more of like I said for before, tomorrow, you yeah, know, like a positive thing, like yeah. a more positive yeah. thing because it's UK too. Our message is generally positive, mm. uh, not nihilistic, like despite of all the bullshit that's around. <laughs> Not, you know, like, there's not much. <laughs> we were born in, like, uh, pretty much a dump, but, you know, we managed yeah. to mm. do something out of ourselves. Like, Making you know, this, we, yeah. we made it here. We we made a band, you know. Yeah. Like, that's, band that's a, we try, yeah. a small achievement in itself, yeah. you know. And, yeah. uh, we, but just trying we've done itself, much you know? more, you know. Yeah, just yeah. being yourself, being yourself yeah, in being this a, identity, yeah. reclaiming your identity and coming together as... You know, people from the same region, which is normally called the Nusantara, which is Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and yep. those region, and then we come together and make this music. And I guess I'm I'm super stoked to see how this would turn out. One of the the lyrics itself, like we came up with it together, and then one point of time, I was kind of cook or something at night. But I got this like, you know, thing where I was listening to a lot of like old school Malay ballads and stuff about romanticism and love, which is. M- much more of my culture where it's about romanticism yeah. oh, it's, a, it's our culture yeah. you know like where we come from we <laughs> love ballads yeah. yeah it's, it's more very, like poems and dancing and, and like yeah passed yeah. down through generations yeah, yeah. through different cultures yeah. you know like so I guess that's why I got a lot of the thing for the lyrics and swear and we put it in and Yup's like oh my god this is crazy in the morning I'm like where do you get this lyrics like my veins have been cut and it's gonna stop like the blood <laughs> is flowing see, that's like, from the yeah one of the kind of like the lyrics to it, it's just like really deep kind of like I'm like yeah, I'm gonna put like, that into like UK very too. very poetic yeah. Yeah. poetic yeah, yeah poetic uh, lyrics, like yeah. Uh, we, we we write the lyrics together yeah. and it's mm. great you know yeah. we get to bounce off I, yeah <laughs> It's a pity that uh, Rafi, our yeah. drummer, his uh, visa was uh, denied, so he had oh, to go home. I heard yeah, that. just ended. Yeah, just so yeah. yeah, like you know, this is one that of sucks. the the examples where like Rafi's been here for six years. Six mm. years, yeah. you know. I mean, after six years, you're pretty much well set up in a place. Yeah, definitely. And then having to uproot yourself again. It's so hard. You know, it's Going really, back to really hard. Like, yeah. all three of us would know. Yeah, yeah right? but like, I mean, you guys more so. Having to go back to uh, Jakarta in the midst of COVID. Yeah, yeah. he was oh, like, right. it was just, it was such a culture shock. I was yeah. just texting him. It was, yeah. but I guess now he got a job, you know. And, oh, that's you good. Know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's gonna be good for him. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. <laughs> we <laughs> <Yeah>. see. <laughs> well, what else do you have coming out in 2021? Or what well, are the plans 2021, for 2021? Yep. Um, so the execution second uh, EP, hacker EP, 
whenever the Sistema 12-inch will be ready. Mm. Yep, that will be Great done. Band. So you got a lot. You got a lot coming up. A lot, up. a yeah, lot yeah. coming up. And hopefully we can, uh, at some point in 2022, hopefully. The uh, hardcore victim you know, 10-year anniversary. F- uh, 10, that would be well, like 12 years No, it's not, it's not 10-year anniversary. Last year was 10 years. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, it will be some something. But, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully bring Crick Shock and Schizophrenia and Lotion. Definitely. And hopefully there's still bands. Ah, <laughs> uh, so... If someone was listening to this podcast and they wanted to maybe donating to like a local DIY um, organization, like do you guys have any recommendations of like places they could check out or support in some way, donate food, donate money or anything? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I would start with directly like the punk itself, like IRL info shop. Then from there, I guess there's more other donations from like West Papua and Vanuatu. There's so many things going on, but I guess to start with, because we're talking about punks and things that were run by essentially punks who play in bands like Exilism, who play in bands like Occult Blood and like Anlis and Onion and everything and so Brit. So yeah. I guess those are the people who run IRL InfoShop. Is there any other like DIY punk like stuff like InfoShop besides InfoShop though? Because no. like, yeah, at, there yeah, was yeah. a point where there was yeah. so much more. At, at the moment, there Yeah, it's just there IRL. Yeah. I mean, last year... Uh, towards the end of last year, like me, Stu, and we were trying to get a collective of people who would be interested in going in on like a, a space to mm. start like our oh, own, own space, you know, <laughs> so we can do shows out there. Mm. I was getting tired of doing shows at a pub, you know. Yeah, like, no, definitely. We need to bring back that edge. Oh, yeah. We, we, we have in Melbourne, you I, know. I, it was great, you know. Yeah. And it's like just such more of a relaxed vibe and feeling. Yes. Like, I mean, like it's great that we have like pubs that will let punk music happen. But yeah. like, you know, doing it. DIY show under a bridge at yeah. a skate park at a house you know they're yeah. all things like I mean, I mean we in Melbourne are lucky you mm. know that we have that culture behind us and we need to do our best to like you know uphold that yeah you know if you'd like to donate maybe to um, ASRC or war mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. At, at the moment, Aboriginal resistance, uh, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, or the drop ASRC, w- yeah. or rise, mm. R-I-S-E. or drop Wurong too. Drop Wurong, yeah. yeah drop Wurong. I guess now the injunction has happened, and I think uh, they're not going to build a highway. Yeah. So I guess just follow Instagram. All you can do is just Google stuff like Jap Wurong D J A B W U R R U N G. So that's like Indigenous struggle on there. And Warren of Kanak, W-U-R-R-N of O-F-K-A-N-A-K mm. on Instagram. When you follow this kind of stuff on Instagram, they just link to each other. Mm. More like First Nation struggle and stuff. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff like war, warriors of Aboriginal resistance. There's going to be invasion days going coming, coming yeah. up. They might need some funds yep. for something. So maybe name a couple of your favourite Australian releases that have come out in the last, like, Five to ten years that aren't off your label. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck's like okay. shit. Uh, I guess uh, you know straight. It's the the first straight jacket nation uh, mm. uh, LP. Cheap cheap kicks. Mm. You know, yeah. Was that 2006 or what year was that? Oh, is it like <laughs> too too old now? <laughs> uh, well, don't you know, show your age, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, really like the Alien Nose Job uh, sandwich. Oh, yep. yep. yeah, yeah, yep. there you go. 
I've actually haven't received the swap r- demo yet. Oh my god! I, I, I like I like watching them live, so oh, I look are. forward to their seven okay. inch that's I, coming out. I know I put like a demo um, of away for you somewhere like um, ages ago. I like the the help demo, and there's a lot of good stuff in Australia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I like the no class record. Yeah. Yep, the no class record. Hey. Are they gonna do something on a uh, hardcore victim? Oh, you know, I've uh, I I've al- we've, we've always uh, offered, <laughs> but uh, they they snubbed us for like uh, wow. you know like uh, contra records, which is basically pop punk people uh, graduating to uh, become skinheads <laughs> now, pretty much, you know. So wow. they snubbed us for that. So oh well, just getting the nails out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so many good records out there. Uh, you really put me in the spot, uh, yeah. Christina. <laughs> All right, yeah. what about so you? So I do have to say, bands are not under hardcore victims. Well, you, oh, like no, I, mean, I can because can hardcore because victims are not my label. thing. <laughs> maybe maybe not all hardcore. I think victims. like yeah, Enzyme, mm. Views of Power. That's pretty good, and and the way these guys perform live is just explosive. Like every time since the first time I saw them. People just go crazy when like Stu goes on, and you know the whole band itself. Mm. Vampire. Oh, vampire. vampire! Yeah, great. Oh yeah, vampire, like, demo. Yeah, vampire yeah. vampire <laughs> is demo. Vampire is great. Yes, that's one yeah. of the things that I repeatedly actually just listen. To I them. actually uh, offered va- like we actually offered Vampire to put out a record too. The Ubik uh, LP, oh, yeah, Ubik, yeah, yeah, Ubik, yeah, and the Hacker demo, yep, yeah, awesome. Uh, Future Suck. Okay, another yeah. twenty yeah. more bands. Yep, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but really, you know, like uh, yeah. we are very lucky to uh, live, yeah. Uh, especially in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, in Melbourne. But like, you know, like that was my first impression when I came to Australia. Right, I was like, man, there are so many good bands in all of Australia. How come I didn't know about them to now? Mm. Um, I guess because we live in the ASEAN of the world, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Not many bands actually uh, get into the rigmarole of like, you know, uh, network or like writing or trading records mm. or, yeah. you know? Like yeah, I've got to do more of that. And yeah. Not many bands here have a lot of longevity, you know? Like, I love Lying when it came out, you know? Yeah. I liked it. I liked the... Um, language use i like the intensity of the music i like the vocals that been uh female fronted and stuff and now mm-hmm. uh, you know that's the end for life but i guess other records that i say punter i love punter as well mm, not my exactly the kind of thing that we listen every day but i guess because of you know the lyrics and i've been listening to a lot of punter during like lockdown debacle Debacle. Yeah, debacle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, debacle. A real strong knot to like '90s cross, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the stuff that uh, I guess when I came to Melbourne was very strong yeah, yeah, and driving. Yeah, yeah. It was like the Liar LP is actually it's quite exceptional. Yeah. Exceptional too. Yeah, a lot of good records. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, this year. Thank oh, you yeah, so much yeah. for coming in and talking to me. It's oh, been really good. Thanks, thanks for having us, uh, <laughs> Christina. Little me, yeah. I don't yeah. like. Thanks again to both Yup and High School for coming into the studio to chat. Yup also sent me his top five releases for 2020 Australian releases. Uh, those being. The Oily Boys LP, Low Life EP, Blockade EP, No Future Cassette, and the A Long Time Alone number one compilation cassette. I hope you got something out of this conversation. Next week I'll have another radio show episode coming up, so stay tuned to the Modern Australian Underground. Don't forget to contact me via litmus.media. 
Media.